You're listening to The Thrive Podcast with your host, Kathleen Drennan, corporate executive turned creative entrepreneur. Listen in as Kathleen shares all the things about marketing, money, and managing your mindset. She'll provide you with the tools and templates you can use today to help grow your business and move one step closer to creating your best life. Ladies, you got this. Now, I know that you can't see this, which is awkward, but you know that old saying, what is it? The emperor's kids have no clothes, something like that. And I don't even know why I tried to say that because I don't even know what the story is. But the whole thing about how if you're anything like me and you're a floral designer, but like what I, what we tell our customers and how we take care of our own plants, two different things. Like, oh, yeah, I can spout off to you how to take care of so many of your indoor plants. No problemo. But no, am I going to do it myself? No. I, why would I do that? <laughs> but here's the thing. Guys, if you water your plants and you fertilize them, they grow. <laughs> I know. Like, it's magic. Like what you tell your customers when they're like, how do I care for a cyclamen? Or what do I do with this orchid? Or how do I care for this cute little tropical plant or this succulent? Seriously, you water it and you fertilize it. It actually works. Dang. I bought this, I don't know, it must be a kind of philodendron. I'm going to say that because you can call anything a philodendron and anything a ficus. And most of the time you're going to be right. (laughs) But it kind of looks like it has those kind of like tenderly, I'm not good with describing shapes. But when I bought it, it had three leaves on it. Three. And now it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's like more than doubled. It's almost tripled because I've watered it and I have fertilized it. So I am proof (laughs) that what you tell your customers on how to care for houseplants actually works, my friends. I used to like roll my eyes at those customers and be like, oh my God. Your house must be filled with so many flowers. <laughs> it's like, no. Like, if you talk to a floral designer, they don't want to look at the flowers. They don't want anything to do with flowers. They don't want anything to do with, like, extra flowers hanging around their house because they're just going to die. And then they have to deal with them. <laughs> but I will say, go out there and buy yourself a cute house plant, water it, fertilize it, and just be so proud of yourself. The fact that you can take care of this thing. And his name is Elfie. And it's a him, but he's in a pink pot from Kmart. Anywho, that's your update for today, my friends. Go out there, buy yourself a cute plant. And if it dies, don't beat yourself up. You know, there's more where that came from. It's fine. But I wanted to talk you guys through, because I've only been introduced to this concept. Like last year, a friend of mine was telling me about it. And it's this idea of under-earning. That was a phrase I had not heard until 2020. And it kind of piqued my attention. So the concept, I'm pretty sure, came from Barbara Stanny. And she's actually a writer. And she wrote this book about under-earning, I want to say, like, 10 years ago. And what's kind of so, like, fascinating, like, meta about this whole experience is that she was tasked with writing a book. And then it turned out to be a book about under-earning. So then she changed the title because it was actually kind of her learning her really digesting and interviewing all of these successful six-figure women and really learning about how many women and how many creatives live in a cycle of under 
earning. And what I really like about her perspective is that she's not some business guru or fancy corporate person who's kind of trying to talk down to us. She's like, no, I'm a writer and I'm a person who has lived in the spiral of under-earning for years and I want to talk you guys through what this could mean and how to identify under-earning and what it is. And really giving herself permission to come at this from a transparent and honest, creative female perspective. And she's really like mapping out for you in this book, her own thought process of really getting in her own way of her being able to actually earn to her full potential. So first things first, under earning, what is it? She describes it or she defines it as someone who makes less than she needs or desires despite efforts to do otherwise, right? So you might have a vision for how much money you want to make, but kind of almost no matter what you try, you never get there. And inside this book, she talks about how common this narrative is for women and definitely how common this is within the artist and creative community. And something I've really been thinking about, because when you look at some of these like online educators and people who talk about building businesses and some of those people that you might follow on Instagram, like you regularly see entrepreneurs showing up on Instagram talking about, guys, I just had my first five-figure month or six-figure month, right? Like really talking about revenue goals. You don't see that happen in the floral design industry, right? You don't see people showing up and being like, guys, I just had my first five-figure month or I just booked my first wedding, right? Nobody in our industry talks about making money. So it really perpetuates the starving artist mentality, particularly females, like women really living into this experience of under-earning. And I know for me, right, like the narrative of you should be grateful for what you have and thinking that we need to make the trade-off between fulfillment, creativity, and money, right? Like, well, you know, at least I get to play with flowers all day. At least I love my clients as if that's going to trump the desire for making money right? And actually wanting to make money. And then we feel guilty for wanting to make money. And then we beat ourselves up because we feel guilty. And it's like, you should just be grateful for what you have. And what's so like frustrating is that nobody tells you when you start a business, all of those like deep, unrealized, completely unrecognized stories that we tell ourselves about making money are all going to come to the table with us right? We've never been taught. Like nobody sits us down and says, here's how to think about money, honey. Or even just saying like, here's what money does. And here's all the beautiful things that money can create for us. And here's where money comes from. Like literally, right? We just are thrown into these families that have these very longstanding stories about money, right? I had this vision the other day though, that I was like, God, be so good. I was thinking about like creating a cartoon or something. Can't draw never going to happen. But this idea of like, I almost feel like I'm sitting at this table and it's like, if we were going into like a kindergartner's room, right? Like a classroom or something. And you know how the tables and everything are made for small people. It's like, I'm just going to sit as an oversized adult. I'm going to sit on one of these tiny itty bitty little chairs and I'm going to sit at this round table. And then there's going to be like four other small kid chairs at the table and they're going to have labels on the back. Right. And it's going to have this like sign above it that says Kathleen and her money stories. Like one of the chairs is going to be called like having money. 
Another chair is going to be labeled charging for our services, making money. Another chair is going to be spending money. Another chair is going to be about saving money, right? And none of us are ever taught the importance of becoming aware of any of these stories. But we all have them, right? Every single one of us has unconscious money stories, or we have money beliefs that have kind of been pushed on us, mostly from our family, but in some cases it might be from your culture, or it might be from the community that you've grown up in, or it might be from extended friends and family, or it might be from like the media and conditioning. There's so many different places that our brain is going to get evidence to continue to support our own beliefs. And it's really, really fascinating to kind of dig into some of this stuff, right? Because money, even just the topic, the theme of money brings up so much emotion for so many of us, right? There's so many stories associated with it. It's super complicated. It's super entwined with our relationship with our family and like even our parents' relationship with their parents. And it's so intense. It's so charged. And what really doesn't help that situation is the fact that nobody talks about money, right? We don't sit down and have these just very factual, functional conversations about money, right? People don't talk about it. And it's really interesting because I was thinking the other day, I was like, what kind of environment did I grow up in? And where did I get some of my money beliefs that I know are quite different to other people's? And one thing I know for sure that is very different to other people's families is on both my mom and my dad's side, there was a level of wanting to be educated around how to manage money. So even the idea of setting a budget, living into a budget, right? It was my grandfather who would have taught my mom this principle of you don't spend more than one third of your income on your housing, right? And just the fact that that was talked about in my family, right? That that was just part of the dialogue. That was just matter of fact, here's an equation to help you follow, right? I have no idea where he even got that from. It was just like, that's something that I learned at a pretty young age, right? Like I feel like for me, I was probably seven or eight when my parents started talking about money. Now, in addition to that, money did have a lot of emotion tied with it because particularly when I was young and my dad, who was the sole breadwinner in our family, but he wasn't making as much money as he wanted, right? And so money was tight and he had these big kind of ambitions about what he wanted to do. I know that it caused a lot of strain in my parents' relationship. And it's so interesting, right? Because on one side, there's this belief of like, budgeting and transparency and teaching kids and educating family members about how to manage money and fiscal responsibility and trying to just be practical about it. And then you layer on top of that, my dad, who literally became an accountant because he walked by a guy, this would have been in the early seventies. My dad walked by a guy who he saw he had a car phone and my dad literally walked up to the guy and was like, Oh my God, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm an accountant. That was the second that my dad decided what he wanted to do with his entire life. Because my dad is the youngest of seven, and he grew up in an Irish Catholic family. Money was not plentiful, right? So then he thought his belief system was such that money buys happiness. So he's going to go out there and get a kick-ass job where he can have lots of zeros on his paycheck because money buys happiness, right? And as my dad 
kind of continued to grow his career every time he became partner, every time he got a promotion. Like we were then that family. This is so funny. We were then that family in the eighties that had a microwave. I think my dad would have taken his entire like partnership check from one quarter (laughs) just to buy the microwave. Because this is back in the day when they would have been like 800 bucks, right? We also had a VCR. Now, here's the thing, my friends. Can we talk about the 80s? And we had a VCR that had a, I'm going to go air quotes, remote control that actually (laughs) was like a little pad, but it had a wire that was probably like two meters long that then plugged into the VCR. Guys, this was back in the days when like laser discs were still trying to make their way to humanity. Seriously. (laughs) But it's so interesting, right? Because if I go in and deconstruct my own stories about money, on one side, my grandfather is kind of telling my mom and then passing down to us like fiscal responsibility and kind of financial transparency. And then my dad is building the belief in us that money buys happiness, right? And my dad eventually became a trustee in bankruptcy. Let me tell you, Literally, my worst nightmare up until 2020, my worst nightmare was filing for bankruptcy. If I ever had to file for bankruptcy, shame, death come upon me, right? So I did everything to go out of my way to make sure that that wasn't going to happen, which then for me, right, like my fear, my anxiety around having to file for bankruptcy means my like hoarding of money is so strong because I have to prepare for a worst case scenario, right? Literally. So like the formula in Kathleen's brain, it's like, how the heck did I even get here? Okay. So my grandfather is teaching me, I need to have a salary that allows me to spend one third of it on my housing, right? So if one third of my salary has to go to my housing, that means that in order for me to live in that kind of house, I need to have this kind of income, right? I took that very literally. And then my dad instilled in me from a very young age, do everything in your power not to file for bankruptcy because that fills you with shame and you should be banned from the earth and money buys happiness, right? And what's so interesting is like, I can tell you for a fact, money doesn't buy happiness, right? And I think it's only in my 60s did my dad start to really learn that money doesn't buy happiness because he had all of the things. (laughs) He had all of the things. And then he was like, hmm. Money doesn't buy happiness. That's interesting. (laughs) So like having to untangle all of that stuff. Super interesting to get into this work and just come at it from a place of just like pure curiosity, pure curiosity. And I will say, I am so grateful that finances, right? And money management is something that was brought into my world at such a young age because it took a lot of the emotion out of it. Right. And for those of you guys who have not read the Barefoot Investors book, even if you don't live in Australia, my friends, the Barefoot Investor, he's a lot like um, if you've ever read a book by Mike Michalowicz. So he's the writer of Profit First. Great book, by the way. Highly recommend it. But even if you don't live in Australia, so the Barefoot Investor is very geared towards Australian because it talks about retirement and everything relevant to Australians. But I have never read a book about money that was so empowering as the way that the Barefoot Investor talks about money. Like he really breaks it down and he talks about all of our stories about money, why we're so scared to look at how much debt we might have or why we're scared to look at how much credit card 
payments are due and all that stuff and really teaches you how to actually take control of your money and how to actually manage your money. And I know for a fact, I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't read that book and done that work, right? To get through the bushfires and get through COVID and still stand and still live in the house that I live in. It's fucking incredible, right? But I also know it's like, read that book, become empowered when it comes to managing money. So what is that? First one's Profit First by McAllowitz. Second one is The Barefoot Investor. And even if you do not live in Australia, so much of what you're going to learn in The Barefoot Investor is so helpful. Particularly if you're in Australia, please read his book and then do the work. Like I know so many of you guys have the book, but you've never actually sat down and actually taken control of it. And I know it's tedious and I know it's not fun, but your future self is going to be so grateful that you did it. I am so grateful every day that we're doing that work and that we've done that work. It's so empowering. But let's get back to this idea of under earning. So I've recapped for you guys, and this is kind of a summary from the Forbes website that Barbara Stanny herself, who's the author of this book, has actually written kind of like the seven signs that you're an under earner. And Sloan and I were reading this. I was reading it out loud to him and he was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is like the floral design industry in a capsule. So not to say that you are going to be all seven of these, but these are her seven immediately obvious symptoms of being an under earner. So one, financial chaos. Under earners tend to go from one financial crisis to another, struggling to make ends meet, right? It's this idea of like, there's never enough to go around. Why do I always end up in this situation, right? I absolutely see that as like the victim mentality. Two, vagueness around money. Under earners usually have no idea how much money they earn, how much money they have, or even how much money they need. They operate by wishful thinking. And this is absolutely so clear in our industry because when you're first starting out your business, you've never even sat down to think, how much money do I need to earn to earn a living? How much money do I need to run my business? And how much profit do I need to and do I want to reinvest back into my business? Right? So just kind of dancing around the outside and this idea of operating by wishful thinking. Three. And how many of us are going to put our hands up for this one? Underestimating our worth. (laughs) That's all of us. Literally all of us would be raising our hands, right? Under earners devalue themselves, giving away their time, their knowledge, and their skills, right? This is like the religion of the floral design industry. Sign number four is an anti-money attitude. Under earners are ambivalent or downright negative about money and or people who have it. They dislike the wealthy, take great pride in living on a shoestring, and believe there is virtue in being poor, right? This is like in brackets you could put next to this, the starving artist, right? And I know for so many of us, and this is something a lot of you guys have uncovered within the Flower Boss Boot Camp, right? But our judgments and our presuppositions around wealthy people, which is so powerful to know because then all of a sudden you can see Oh my God, like I am bringing all of that judgment to the table at a wedding consult. Or if somebody inquires and wants to spend $1,000 on an arrangement for somebody's birthday, right? Our immediate judgment is (laughs) whatever emotion that is, right? Like why would somebody want to spend that much money? You shouldn't spend that much, right? All of that internal dialogue that we have around it. 
And then we really do take pride on just how little we can live off of, right? As if we should be having this badge, the fact that we're boasting about not making money. Number five, self-sabotage. Bright women remain under earners by jumping from job to job, procrastinating, taking on too much, being scattered and unfocused. Totally me, 100%, right? We go from task to task. We don't see things through to fruition. We're scattered, we're reactive, and we're unfocused. And we're taking on too much. Number six, codependent. Under earners put everyone else's needs first. They may seem noble, but leads to anger, resentment, pain, and non-productivity. Number seven, craving comfort. Under earners are unwilling to be uncomfortable, which is so interesting, right? Because if we have any of those symptoms and then we start a business and nobody's told us that every day you're going to be uncomfortable, it's like we're going to stay stuck in the under earning cycle. And it's really fascinating, right? From a place of curiosity, this is not another opportunity for you to sit there and beat yourself up and you should have known better. No, my friends, like under earning is only a concept I have just learned about. And it's so helpful to be able to have like a label for this experience. So helpful for us to be able to see that this is even a thing and recognizing that it's a choice, particularly as a floral designer. Because what we are offering the world is, by definition, a luxury. Our clients and our customers want to spend money. And then whenever we stay in the under-earning cycle, we're the ones getting in the way of our own success. And really recognizing that the starving artist persona is optional. And that we don't have to forsake creativity for service or for love or for money. You are allowed to want it all and you are allowed to have it all, but you have to do the work. You have to start to unpack the stories that you're telling yourself. You have to decide what it is that you want to believe. And then you have to start living into that experience. One of the most empowering experiences that you can have as a business owner is recognizing that you get to take full responsibility for your results. And this isn't about criticism or blame or judgment. This is about recognizing if you're not making enough money in your business, if you don't like the results that you're creating in your business, then you get to change them. You don't need somebody else outside of you to come along and give you permission. You don't need your customers to change. You don't need the wind to start blowing in a different direction. You just get to decide that today is the last day you're going to tolerate your previous thought process. And today is the last day you're going to tolerate your under earning. And you're going to decide that you want more, that you want to be more, that you want to experience more, that you really want to show up in a bigger and bolder way. And I was laughing with one of the girls inside of the boot camp the other day. She was saying, like, now her problem is she has so much money in her bank account, she doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and I was like, I laugh because it's like, that is like an actual problem, right? Like, all of a sudden, because we've been, like, running on so much self-doubt and uncertainty, and then we start to really believe that it's possible, and then you start charging all of these different prices, and then you see all this money, and you're like, 
but uh, what do I do with this now? And I was like, okay, on the agenda for 2022, let's talk about what to do with our profit. <laughs> because it can be, right? Because then all of a sudden, this is so interesting because it's so cyclical, right? You get over the belief that your customers don't want to spend money and you start building the belief that they do want to spend money. So then you start making all of this money, but then you run up against your next limiting belief about spending money and investing money in yourself, right? It's so interesting how many different layers there are around money. Like I could talk about this for forever because it's so fascinating how many of us have all these different stories and we're completely taken by surprise when we start our business, because it's like, oh no, like building a very abundant money belief is required with whatever your revenue goal is, right? Maybe it's 50K, 200K, a million. You have to build the belief that you have what it takes to earn that level of money, that you are worth that level of money, that the service that you're offering the world and the designs that you're offering the world are worth every single penny that your customers want to spend. It's so powerful to do this work and really get curious about, I wonder what stories I'm telling myself about all of these different prices, right? And really checking our own judgments, checking our own stories and what we're making it mean. It's so powerful. Remember, if any of this resonates with you, if you want to dig into your money stories, if you want to be surrounded by an amazing flower family who is going to celebrate your wins and give you a virtual hug when you feel like the world is imploding, please come join us inside of Flower Boss Bootcamp. And really understanding that money is such a fundamental pillar of what we teach and that we can dig into this in so many different ways. Like literally one of the modules inside of the bootcamp is called Making Money because we need to unpack all the stories that we're telling ourselves and really step into the new version of ourselves and step into a new identity. And it's going to carry you through so many different iterations of your business, right? Because it doesn't even matter what you're selling, right? You might be doing daily deliveries today. And then all of a sudden you might change your mind in the future and offer some sort of like high ticket workshop or all-inclusive studio intensive. I don't even know right? But like really understanding, like we have to sell ourselves on the value of what we offer. We have to unpack our own stories about money. We have to allow our customers to spend as much money as they want. And it all comes back to our money story. So check yourself in terms of really understanding, are you calling yourself and living into the experience of being an under earner, right? Are you maximizing your revenue potential? My friend, this is so powerful. Go out there, create some magic, make some money. Drink your water, eat your vegetables, and get some sleep. Please drive safely, my friends. Have the most amazing day, and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye for now.